listening to sermon audio from Grace Mosaic, a congregation of the Grace DC Network in Northeast DC. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org. Have you ever had the experience of talking to someone on the phone? And you get a mental image in your mind of what that person looks like, but when you meet them, they look nothing like what you imagined they would look like. Have you ever had that experience? I did. It was when I was kicking off my career in showbiz in New York City. And my manager was sending me on all of these auditions for commercials. And I was looking through the files that he sent me trying to figure out which one I wanted to go to. When I came across the name of a director, and the name of the director was Tyrone Jenkins. And I said, that's a little home cooking. I'm going to go and see if a brother will hook me up. When I went to the audition and I walked in, I was walking in smiling because I was going to be like, brother, Tyrone Jenkins looked like Bill Gates and my whole brain was scrambled because I had this idea in my head of what he would be like based upon talking to him on the phone. But it turns out that Tyrone Jenkins was sort of unexpected in my mind. When many people approach the Christian faith, they have this image in their minds of what God is like. Maybe they have dabbled with the scriptures. Maybe they've heard the things that Christians have said about God. And they have began to form images in their head of what God is like, what God would or wouldn't do how God might or might not operate. But when you really encounter the God of the Advent, the God of Christmas, what you see is that he is unexpected. In fact, if you're going to digest Advent, what you will come away with is the idea that that the whole of the Christian faith brings uh, an overturning of our expectations. So this morning, I want to briefly uh, talk through our text in the the Gospel of Luke chapter 2. And I want to approach this through three points where we see unexpected people, an unexpected time, and an unexpected king. So let's look at our first point, unexpected people. Verses 8 through 9 read like this. And in the same region, there were shepherds. Out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. To them. God had at his command many honorable and distinguished possibilities for witnesses. He could have sent his angelic messengers to the temple leadership. To people who had religious know-how. He could have sent his angelic messengers to the halls of power in Rome, you know, after all, to gain influence there, because that's what we all like, isn't it? But he passed them by and chose shepherds, people of humble rank and of little reputation in the world. They were unexpected. The shepherds were unexpected. These are some simple people out in the field raising sheep, lambs that will be slaughtered at Passover. We wouldn't have chosen them as the recipients of such good news. 
we wouldn't have included them in our greatest story. We all edit details when we tell stories, don't we? And we only include the details that really count. Well, God's the same way in his storytelling. And what he's telling you is that the shepherds count in his mind. But the deal is this. The shepherds were just a few in a long line of unexpected people that the Lord would come to. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were unexpected because they were simple nomads. Moses was unexpected because he was supposed to have been aborted. Israel was unexpected. They were a marginalized people in the grip of slavery. Joshua was unexpected. He was a basic military leader in the midst of empires. David was unexpected. If you remember the story, he was the youngest and least impressive of his brothers, and his own father didn't even think he was a likely candidate for leadership. Isaiah was unexpected. He himself knew that he was an unclean man living among an unclean people. The 12 disciples were unexpected. Fishermen, a tax collector, a political revolutionary, and a traitor. Saul of Tarsus was unexpected. He was an accessory to murder of God's people. And perhaps most of all, you and I were unexpected. If we think about who we are, if we think about what goes through our minds and what happens in our hearts, the pride, the selfishness, the self-righteousness, that we're greedy and needy, we would realize that we were unexpected people. But the scriptures teach us in this passage that God delights to reveal his good news to unexpected people. The people we write off and the people we run off are the people that God receives. It's meant to mark the way that we are as a community. When you see that this is what God is like, this is the kind of welcome he has. This is the kind of heart that he has. That he would invite such a one as you and me. It's unexpected. And it should form the kind of community that the neighborhood finds unexpected and unexpected people. But the text also shows us that all of this goes down at an unexpected time. Verses 8 through 9. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. The text teaches us that like old school photographers of of bygone days, God does his work in the dark. This is where the greatest developments of God have taken place. Dark days, dark times, dark trials, dark circumstances, even dark tombs. God does his work in the dark. And most of the time, we're only recognizing a small percentage of the Lord's work. We recognize the Lord's work in the times of comfort and joy. But the text shows us that the Lord works the midnight shift as well. When the darkness closes in, when depression and anxiety knock on your door, when your children are sick, when you and your loved ones face health trials, when you're facing confusion and dark nights of the soul, 
light shines in the darkness. And the Gospel of John tells us that the darkness could not overcome it. The older saints where I come from used to say, God don't need no matches. He's fire by himself. He is the light. Money can't light up your darkness. A job can't light up your darkness. The acceptance of people cannot light up your darkness. But the fact of the matter is that God is the light. You know, most of the time, those things actually deepen the darkness of our selfishness and self-dependence and our idolatry. But the text shows us that you don't need to fear the places of darkness because God has a habit of showing up there. Don't run from the darkness. Don't reject the darkness as it were. Don't resent the darkness. Receive the darkness and wait on the Lord. Because before long, he will scatter the darkness and make a testimony out of you. Make a witness out of you. Don't you see where the story of the shepherd starts? It starts in darkness. And where does it finish? Glorifying and praising God for what they heard and seen. We're going to come back to that. God has a habit of showing up in these dark places and these dark times. And he doesn't need any of the things that you think you need in order to light up that darkness. We have to let, listen, fam, we have to let the story of the incarnation change our plausibility structures. And what I mean is this. This story should make us interrogate all of our assumptions about what God is like, what God would or wouldn't do, and how God would or wouldn't act. God is at work in the unexpected times. And if you currently find yourself in one of those times... You should expect the unexpected. You should expect God to work. Other things may not work in those times, but he works. Other things may not be able to change the situation, but he's able to change you in the situation. You should expect him to bring good. You should expect him to make you fruitful. You should remember when you're in those times where you want out, where you want to escape where you want to break free, where it doesn't make sense, where the pain is, is too great. You should remember when you have the questions of what is God doing? What is he up to? Remember this story and remember the word of the prophet Isaiah when he speaks for the Lord. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. I'm going to tell you something. If your God does not surprise you, then your God is not holy. You have some other God, some other version, a much smaller version. If your God does not surprise you, then your God is not holy. You should expect him to surprise you on every turn. You should suspect that he's going to surprise you because your ways are not his ways. If your God doesn't surprise you, your God may be a figment of your own thinking. We would never choose many of the routes that the Lord takes us down. We wouldn't choose them. You know what? You and I would not have chosen an incarnation. 
you and I would not have chosen God in the flesh. You and I wouldn't have chosen such a great life seemingly wasted. You and I would not have chosen the false accusation of the one who is truth itself. You and I would not have, have expected that the best route would be a cross and a burial and a tomb. But his ways are not your ways. And aren't you glad on this side of the resurrection that that is the case? Now, if he was doing that in those dark days, what might he be doing in your dark days? What might he be up to? If that was nothing short of the renewal of the entire cosmic order, then surely the darkness of your life is a playground for his glory. That he can get busy. That he can do the unexpected. That he will bring the unexpected because he's an unexpected king, which brings us to our final point. Look at verse 12, the message of the angel. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Frederick Beekner was a Presbyterian minister and writer, and he once said this, and I quote, once you have seen God in a stable, you can never be sure where he will appear or to what lengths he will go or to what ludicrous depths of self-humiliation he will descend in his wild pursuit of man. If holiness and the awful power and majesty of God were present in this least auspicious of all events, the birth of this peasant's child, then there is no place or time so lowly and earthbound but that holiness can be present there too. And this means that we are never safe, that there is no place where we can hide from God, no place where we are safe from his power to break into and recreate the human heart because it is just where he seems most helpless that he is most strong and just where we least expect him that he comes most fully. Do you see what Beekner is saying? He's saying that this is an unexpected king. If he's the kind of king who shows up in a manger, you can't tell me that there's any place you can count out. If he could show up in the lives of people like this, you can't tell me that there's any person's life that he couldn't show up in. Now, you can either get with the unexpected or you can live a much smaller life with a much more blunted witness and diminished impact. I'm going to put it clear. If you're counting out certain neighbors, you've not yet digested Advent. If you're living in the prison of fear when it comes to talking about your faith with people, you say, ah, they would never want it. It's not about what they would want. If God wants it, it shall be done. He's mighty to save. And what that means is that there is no degree of pride that he cannot melt in a person. There's no degree of confusion that he cannot clear up. There is no amount of blindness that he cannot make 2020. He's the Lord. And so we should expect the unexpected. We might just as well have sang this morning, Come Thou Unexpected Jesus. Because the whole logic of the gospel is unexpected. That man's maker would become made man is unexpected, that the God who spoke the world into his existence would coo in his mother's arms is unexpected, 
that the head of the church became a baby who couldn't lift his own head is unexpected. That the bread of life should hunger, the living water thirst, and the healer be wounded is unexpected. The hero of the story dying for the villain is unexpected. His was an unexpected arrival, an unexpected life, an unexpected teaching, an unexpected compassion, an unexpected suffering, an unexpected death, and an unexpected resurrection. And it will be an unexpected return with unimaginable good, grace, and glory. Because he's an unexpected king. That the most high God should stoop so low for us. It's unexpected. Listen. If your fever comes down, you revive. If your rent comes down, you might even do a little dance. But if your God comes down, you love, you sing, you wonder, you worship, and you witness. This is the power that this story should have upon us. Remember, the shepherd's story begins with darkness, ordinariness. It's just another night out in the fields. And it ends in glorifying and praising God for what they had heard and had seen. And what happened in between was that they received a message of good news, not for some people, for all people. Even such as you, shepherds. Even such as you, poor folk. Even such as you, every ethnic spectrum. He brings good news, the messenger does of glad tidings for all people. And then they meet Jesus. That's what happens in between their darkness and their ordinary and their glorifying and praising God for what they had heard and seen. And if we're ever going to join them, then we're going to have to pay closer attention to what we've heard and seen in our lives. You're going to have to pay closer attention to what you have heard and seen rather than putting on the negative filter all the time and only picking out the things that are bad to you. Only picking out the things that are annoying and a, and a, a discomfort. Only picking out the things that went outside of your plans. No, we need to put on a different lens in light of Advent. We need to pay much closer attention to what we have heard and to what we have seen. We can bear witness to God's presence and work in the unexpected. And we have great warrant to believe that we can continue to expect the unexpected in our community. I don't know what God's going to do with Grace Mosaic. But I'm trying to prep my heart to expect the unexpected. I don't know what the all-wise, infinite, all-knowing God has planned for us. But I know it's good. I know it's going to be about glory and renewal. I know it's going to be about good news to the poor, the broken, the disenfranchised, and the sinner. I know it's going to be about all things new. But I don't know what means he will choose. I don't know what providences lie in our future. I don't know what the future holds. But I know who holds the future. That's all we need to know. That's all we need to know. We can continue to expect the unexpected 
unexpected rescues, unexpected conversions, unexpected mercies, unexpected provision, and unexpected times for unexpected people because he's an unexpected king. May you taste more of the invasive joy and glory of the kingdom as you await God's unexpected. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Grace Mosaic. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org.